Father, thank you so much for my brothers and sisters in Christ who uh, today stand saying, God, I need you. I need you to work on my behalf. I need you to touch me. I need you uh, to intervene in my situation physically, emotionally, spiritually, financially. So God, I stand to confess my need to you. And I also stand confessing, believing God that you have the power to work in and through me. So God, I want you to take my situation, my circumstance. And God, my request is that you would heal it. My my request, Father, is that God, you would help me to overcome. But Lord, I want to trust you. Even if it means time, even if it means great difficulty, even God, if things don't change the way that I would like for them to, God, I'm going to trust you. And so I want to ask you to, Lord, empower me with your supernatural strength, with your grace and with your power to sustain this time. God, carry me through these days. Lord, let me know your, your existence is upon me, that your spirit is upon me. And Lord, I thank you and I believe and I trust. So in the name of Jesus, Lord, I ask for your power to fall upon your children. But upon those who say, God, I need you. You said, Lord, in your word in James chapter 5. That, Lord, if we would confess our faults and pray for one another, that we would be healed. And so, Lord, I pray that you would heal in your way, in your time. For your glory, I trust my brothers and sisters into your hands this day. And we ask this all in the mighty and the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. Well, we're going to talk about our vision this morning. And uh, it's really amazing if you stop and think about where we were 10 years ago. You know, we just celebrated our 10-year anniversary in September. And uh, last Sunday... We had over 1,500 people, over four worship services that came and worshiped with us and were part of Bible study. So it's really amazing when you think of 10 years ago when we were meeting in Razor Elementary and it would be very generous to say there were 100. There weren't, there weren't 100 people. And it's just amazing to see what God has done through the first chapter of our church. But I believe that it's just the first chapter and I truly believe that our greatest days are ahead of us as a church and as believers in Christ. And so I, I want you to just really think about the vision and the mission that God has given us. The mission being loving God with all, all that we are while making more and better followers of Christ. That is a primary purpose for which we exist. And we know our primary and chief purpose is to bring glory to God. And one of the ways that we do that is certain by loving Him, but also seeing more and better followers come to Christ as we grow in our faith and as we grow in our relationship with Him. God is doing great things in the world right now, and I'm, I'm going to share some of those with you in just a moment. But I really want you to just resonate. I want you to marinate in the purpose for which we have been called, which again is to love God with all that we are and to make more and better followers of Christ. The Bible tells us in chapter Acts, verse 1, uh, excuse me, chapter 1, verse 8 in the book of Acts uh, Jesus is at his last time before he leaves for the final time to go to heaven until he comes back for the second advent. And Jesus is there and he speaks 
to his disciples, and many scholars believe there were many other people with him at that time, but we know at least the disciples were there in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And this is the commission that Jesus leaves them with. Of course, he had already left the Great Commission earlier for them, which is uh, Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 through 20, which is in large part where our mission statement comes from, when he said, Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you even until the end of the earth. So Jesus has already given that to them. And then this is a reiteration of the mission and the purpose for which they will stay upon this earth. And this is what Jesus says to him. He says, but you will receive the power, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What's interesting in the greater Jerusalem area, the first seven chapters transpire there in the greater Jerusalem area. And then in chapter eight and nine, you see them going into Judea and Samaria. And then from chapter 10 to the end of the book, we see them going into the known world. Now, some of that happened intentionally. And we know Paul had intentional missionary journeys as he was led to go to certain places. But there was also something else that happened during that time that God used to spread the message of the gospel. It's called the diaspora. And uh, we see that happening multiple times with, with the Jewish people. But in this particular incident, uh, we see during this time period that after, uh, after Christ is gone, for the next 50 or 60 years, you will slowly see uh, persecution toward the Jews and toward Christianity kind of ramp up uh, to the point that right before 70 A.D., um, a large, matter of fact, more than more Christians left than stayed in that greater Jerusalem area because the oppression, they were still lumped in a lot of times with Judaism as far as the Roman government was concerned. And because of the revolutions and because of the revolts that were going and we know that uh, that Rome's going to come in and raise Jerusalem. And there was talk. We knew that there was war about to break out. And so Christians spread out all over that area and out, way outside that area. And they take the gospel. Some of them were intentional. And some of them went because of the oppression, because of the fear. And God used that time to spread the gospel worldwide. He commissioned the disciples to go. But just like today, sometimes when we don't go of our own accord, God will give us a push. And He gives the Christians of the early church a push outside the world. And it's really amazing what happens. And we've talked about that before. But what is happening and what is going on? Well, uh, what are they going to share? Well, the message of the gospel. Now, let's turn to uh, Romans chapter 10, beginning with verse 8, which is a wonderful passage that shares with us about the message of the gospel. On the contrary, what does it say? The message is near you and in your and it is near you in your mouth and in your heart. This is the message of faith we proclaim. Here it is right here. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. Paul gives us the message of salvation right there. He says, I want you to believe in your heart. You know, we just had those four adults that came over here and were baptized earlier. and We'll have more next hour. But as they came, I asked them that question. I said, have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And each of them said, yes, I have. I've done that. I've trusted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Now, what does that mean? Let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that you just mentally make an acknowledgement, that you just believe, hey, I believe Jesus Christ. I believe that he's even Lord. That's not all that it means. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us in uh, James chapter 2, verse 17, that the demons believe and they tremble at the sound of 
of His name. It's not a simple mental acknowledgement. The Greek word that we've talked about before is pisteo in the Greek. And it means a adherence to, a total commitment to. And that's what it means to believe, to transfer our faith. So what are you believing? Well, you're believing, first of all, that you're a sinner. That you are not that good of a person. You may think that you're good. You may think that you're really good. And God's going to say, you know, he's pretty good. I just went ahead and let him in. He did a great job. And most people think that. We think, if you ask most people, what, what do you think about heaven? Oh, I think I'm pretty good. think I'll be all right. But the Bible tells just the opposite. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned and we've all fallen way short. Matter of fact, it only took one sin for us to be separated from God Almighty and His perfect and holy majesty. And we all sin every day is the truth. And so we're really not that good. So in order for us to ever obtain salvation, we have to come to that full recognition that we are sinners. It's hard for some people to say. I remember I had a lady come to my house one time and we'd been sharing the gospel with them. They were one of our neighbors and her husband accepted Christ. She came. She goes, I, I just want you to know I'm struggling with all this because, you know, you say I'm a sinner. I don't think I'm a sinner. And I was thinking, well, I can give you ten that I know of, but, uh, but it's just amazing. We don't want to say that. We just don't like to admit it. We, we don't want to say that we have thoughts that aren't right, much less what we do. But we do every day. And the Bible makes it clear that we are, whether we want to admit it or not. And so for salvation to become true, can I tell you, it is a necessity. It is essential. It is non-negotiable. We must recognize that we are sinners. But here's the good news. Once we confess that and admit that, Jesus Christ has said, I love you so much that I died. God said that there must be a penalty for sin. That he could not look upon sin. It must be covered. And the penalty for sin was the shedding of blood. So he shed his blood for you. So that if you would believe and trust that God in the flesh came to this earth. That he lived a perfect life. Gave himself upon the cross. That he crucified, died, and was buried. But on the third day he rose again. If you would transfer your trust to that. And confess that as Lord, him as Lord. And believe in your heart then you would receive salvation. Then it is credited to your account. That's the good news of the gospel. And as they confess that, that's what they were confessing. And that's why Paul says right here in chapter 10, verse 10, with a heart one believes, resulting in righteousness. With a heart one commits. That's why as we baptize, they had already made that commitment, but they were given confession of their faith. They were giving a witness of their faith. And that's why he says one believes resulting in righteousness, but with the mouth one confesses resulting in salvation. Now the scripture says no one who believes on him will be put to shame, for there is no distinction between the Jew and the Greek. Everyone. This is a message of hope for everyone, since the same is Lord of all and is rich to all who call on him. And of course, Romans ten thirteen. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the good news of the gospel. And I hope you've experienced that. I hope that you've received that. Can I tell you, people are receiving it big time today. And God wants us to be a part of seeing people come to Christ here and locally and nationally and internationally. And that's part of our vision and it's going to continue to be part of our vision. What is our our vision? It's to receive people. It's to receive people. It's to equip people. And Randy talked about that last week. It's to impact their lives. And it's to send people out. Let me tell you what's happening worldwide right now with the gospel. It's really encouraging. It's a reason to give praise to God. Here are some statistics. And these come uh, from 
uh, Ken Harding, who is a, a statistician, as well as the Hartford Institute. And it's really encouraging and really amazing what God is doing worldwide right now. In, in 1900, Korea had no Protestant churches. Today, there are over 7,000 churches in Seoul alone. That's the capital of South Korea. In the city of Seoul, there are 7,000 churches. It's also home to the largest evangelical church in the world, which says that they have over a million people that are part of that church. In 1900, there weren't any churches in Korea. Isn't that amazing what God has done over the last hundred years? Another fact number two, at the end of the 19th century, the southern part of Africa, the southern countries of Africa, was only 3% Christian. Today, 63% of the population are members of churches in Africa. And the church in Africa is increasing 34,000 people per day. 35,000 or 34,000 people are coming to Christ each day in South Africa alone, in the southern region of Africa. In India, 14 million of the 140 million members of the untouchable caste system have become Christians over the last 25 years. More people in the Islamic world have come to Christ in the last 25 years than in the last thousand years. More people are coming. It's really amazing what's happening. I remember uh, talking to Jim Dennison, who's preached here a couple of times and done a lot of work with Muslims. And uh, I was talking to him. I said, how are Muslims primarily coming to Christ today, particularly uh, in the Middle East? And as he shared, he said, well, uh, he said, amazing enough, they're having these dreams and their visions. And that's how many of them are coming to Christ. I remember thinking, all right, Jim, give me something else. I'm sure that's happened a couple of times. But what is the, I mean, how are they primarily coming to Christ? Guess what? There are now about a dozen books. That's how they're primarily coming to Christ. Matter of fact, we had a guy here about three years ago, some of you might have heard him, who uh, literally called out the, the Islamic prayer when they would do their prayer, when they would come to prayer five times a day, and he would call it out. And he said one day, he said, I was calling it out, and afterwards he said, I kind of broke out in this cold sweat. I, I kind of sat down. I was up in this little tower where I would use the microphone and I would call out the prayer. And I would literally give the prayer. And he said, something just came over me. And I had this vision. And in this vision, I saw Isa. That's what they called him. I saw Isa. I saw Jesus. And he revealed himself to me. And I, and I knew there was something. I, I needed to know more about him. And so I was literally going to be leaving in a couple of months from there to come to the United States to basically try to convert, not basically, to convert people to Islam. By the way, the, the Islamic nation has a very aggressive missionary movement right now to convert Americans to Islam. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. He came with a group to convert Americans to Islam. And so he said, I came over here and I began to think and I began to search and began to read. He said, and finally, he said, I had a chance to talk to someone and they shared with me the gospel and I, I received it. And now he leads uh, Muslims for Christ over here in, in Dallas. It's amazing. How did he get? He had a vision. God revealed himself, and that's happening over and over and over again. Uh, now, most of these statistics that I'm giving to you, I'll go to the bank with because of the credibility. Now, there was another one that I read yesterday from Charisma magazine, and I don't know where they got their statistics, so I'm not verifying this one. But in that magazine, 
they said that um, in, in 1980 in Iran, it was estimated that there were about 2,000 to 2,500 Christians in Iran at that time. And that today they're approaching 300,000 people that have become Christians. Most of those are converts in the hotbed of Islam. It's amazing what God is doing as he pours out his spirit upon the world at this time. The bi- excuse me, continuing these statistics, um, we see here that in, in Indonesia, one of the most persecuting countries in the world toward Christianity, um, the last estimate we had that were 15% of that nation were now evangelical Christians and that the government no longer will even give a number. They won't even give a number uh, because, of course, it's illegal to evangelize. You can be a Christian, you just can't do anything with it. And now they won't even, they won't even take the survey. Uh, in China, it is estimated that there are now more followers of Christ than there are members of the Communist Party. In that, in the next five to ten years, there will be more Christians in China than in any other country in the world. That is a communist closed country. And there will be more believers in China than any other country in the world. Matter of fact, Doc Henry, who is uh, one of our members who is working in China, he just got back. He's a missionary there working with the underground church. He continues to tell stories of how people over and over and over again are coming to Christ in a place where it is very difficult to come to Christ. Uh, Across the planet, we're seeing this happen. And what is also interesting is that there are 550 new churches started every day in the world. 550 churches are started. And, and also the last statistic he gave, and um, there are, it's estimated that 80,000 people are coming to Christ every day right now. 80,000 people are accepting Christ every day. There's good news that God is working in and out throughout our world. Now, let me give you the bad news. Are you ready for the bad news? You know where it's not happening? Europe and North America. Europe and North America. And why is that? You think, and the truth of it is, I don't know. But uh, why is that? I'd tell you why I think. Because there is no persecution. There is no uh, opposition. It's easy. And matter of fact, you can just think what you want. And because of the wealth and prosperity that we've all had, and we think we've earned it and we deserved it, and God has blessed us, and just come to church, give me my sermon, I leave, and it has no impact on my life. There's no verbal witness to my life. There's nothing else about me that shows or shares Christ. And it just become kind of a social thing to do. And the truth of it is, it's becoming less and less of a social thing to do. And we're seeing a decline occur. Let me tell you what's happening. A lot of times, particularly like tonight, we'll have dinner with the pastor. And if you're new and visiting with us, I invite you to come do dinner with us. I'd love for you to just show up. Uh, no expectations, but just come get to know us a little better. But one of the questions that frequently come up is this. Why do y'all plant churches? We've had 10 families go out of our church and plant. We want to see at least 100 more, quite frankly, in my lifetime uh, plant. Why do we do that? People say, why do you plant churches? Aren't there churches everywhere? Well, let me tell you a couple things. First of all, I mentioned to you all ago that Islam... Uh, is has an active and aggressive evangelism, so to speak, outreach program. Here's the truth about Islam. It's the fastest growing religion in the United States right now. In the last 11 years, Islam has doubled. If you go back to 1980, it was estimated that there were less than 200,000 Muslims in the United States. If you go to uh, 2000, 2001, right there about the time of 9-11, uh, there were about 
2 million. They were a little less than 2 million. Today, we're in excess of 3 million people. It is the fastest growing lake. It has literally almost doubled, and they have doubled in the last 11 years. They have doubled the number of mosques in the United States, and there's an active campaign for the next 10 years for them to double again. And they are now the fastest. You know why? Because they're building. They even have mega mosques now. That's amazing to me. Mega mosques. We heard a mega church. Now you got mega mosque. Okay, so it is continuing to grow, and it will continue to grow, and they will continue to plant, and they'll continue to send missionaries. So we have a choice, and not not just them. You know what number two is? Mormonism, growing thirty to forty percent every decade. Active church planting program. You will see more Mormon churches. You'll see more mosques. That's going to continue to happen. Question is, what are we going to do? We're going to say. Well, you know, I think we got enough churches right here. I think we're good. I think we'll be all right. Let me show you we're not all right. Let me show you some statistics. Let me show you what's going on with the evangelical American church uh, today and give you statistics. Again, these are from the Hartford Institute. 25% of evangelical churches did not baptize anybody in 2012. That's one out of every four churches don't baptize anybody. Not a child, not a teenager, not anybody. And here's the scary part of it. Some of those baptize at birth. It's, it's a scary thought, okay? Number two, 50% of evangelical churches baptized three or less people last year. And that will be true this year. So 75% of our churches are baptizing three or less people. That means only one out of the four churches that you'll see. If you pass four churches on the way over, one of those will baptize more than three people. Now, it doesn't take a rocket science to see that that's a decline. That's going backwards, all right? Because people are dying, too. Remember that. People are dying. People are leaving the church. And if you're only seeing three, that's, that's not a good thing. So 75% of churches in America are not seeing people come to Christ or are in a very minimal way are seeing people come to Christ. Christianity is outpaced population growth in only one state in the nation right now. In other words... Our nation continues to grow at a rate of about 13% per decade, all right? And for us to keep up with the population, just to keep up with the population growth means that our churches need to be growing about 13%. We need to see 13% people coming to Christ. So that's just that. There's only one state in America that did that last year. Can anybody guess what that state is? It wasn't Texas. We weren't even close. Hawaii. Hawaii. Hawaii is the only state that outpaced its growth, okay? And, and Texas, what, here's a, let me give you an amazing, since somebody brought up Texas, since we're talking about Texas for just a moment here, uh, the national average of people, we, we found now, you know, Barna had all these statistics that said 40% of people go to church. What we found is most people lie, and uh, it's called the halo effect. There's what you, what you plan on doing or what you wish you do, you say. Well, when they did the, when they, when the Hartford Institute actually did the real study and they got the real information and they dug deeper, what they found is a lot of people said they, they did, but when they asked them, have you been to church in the last six months, they hadn't. Uh, and when they asked them questions about basic tenets of evangelicalism, they found out that they didn't ascribe to that. Like, uh, do you believe that the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ? Do you believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ? Do you believe these are tenets and essential elements of the faith? Do you believe that everyone's a sinner? When they started asking that question, they wiped out 60% of the people. It was pretty amazing. So what's the average? 17%. You know what, Texas? 17%. 17% of people profess the tenets of evangelical Christianity. Pretty amazing when you stop and think of it. And guess what? That statistic is lowering. Another reason we have to, we have to plant churches and share the gospel. Uh, churches are shrinking. Um, the growth in Christianity in North America are happening in two places primarily. Primarily. The primary place that we see it happening are in new churches. And new churches are designated as 10 years or younger. That's where 
85% of the people who are coming to Christ, and 85% of the churches are, they're in church plants. Now, excuse me, not 85, 89%. Now, the other percentage are in mega churches. That's another place that are growing and people are coming to Christ. As you continue on down, what you'll find is there's only a half percent of churches that are over the age of 40 years old. In other words, they've been in existence 40 years or more regardless of their size. Only a half percent of them grew last year. Not one percent, a half of one percent. By 2050, church attending believers will be half what it is today. If it's 17 percent, what does that mean? Do your math. It's a little less than nine percent. Do you recognize by then we'll be real close to where most of Europe is? If we continue on this same trajectory, last I gave you that statistic a while ago. Less than one half percent of churches over 40 years old uh, grew last year. Does that make any sense? Why we need to be about two things: number one, sharing the gospel; number two, planting church. And you say, why do we plant churches? Because it's proven that it is the most effective way of reaching people. People who don't know Christ. Sharing, I'll share the stories here in just a moment of people who came to church, people that we baptized. You know one of the primary reasons they came here? It was close by. They recognized, they saw it, they came. People who are unchurched, you know how they get here? Primary way they get here, they're invited. Somebody shares with them. But the number two way is it's near home. And when you don't have any church background, there are enough other religions that are actively pursuing people that you'll fall for anything. There's another group that's growing, Jehovah's Witness. Islam, Mormonism, Jehovah Witness. Again, we've only got one denomination in evangelical Christianity right now that's growing. Most of them have plateaued or are in decline. Most churches have plateaued or are in decline. Hey, can I tell you, that's not going to happen here. We are in our first 40 years, dead gummit, and we're going to make the most of it, all right? So... As you, I, want to, I want to show you in just a moment a vision of what I, wanted to, what I believe God is going to do if we will be actively pursuing and accomplishing the vision of God. What can that look like? What does it look like? We've got these signs over here that show you the vision. It shows the summit. I want to give you a picture of what it will look like on the summit. A hundred church plants out of our church. A hundred families going to plant. I think that's a very reasonable goal over the next 40 years. Ten... Uh, 10,000 people sent to mission fields and church plants. You may look at that number and go, well, are you smoking something? Uh, let me tell you, I think that's very realistic. Do you realize that we've already had nearly 100 people go out with church plants already from our congregation? Nearly 100 folks. Hey, as we grow, you know what our vision is? We're going to build one last building, which is roughly double what this is right here. Last week we had 1,504 services. We'll probably add a fifth service by the end of the year. Hopefully we'll go back to two at that point. We'll probably add another the third one, that's fine, but we're going to utilize the property we've got and we will be in a healthy position to continually no longer have to ever build buildings again, but just send people out, hopefully by the hundreds. And I believe in the next 40 years that we can send 10,000 people out locally, nationally, internationally. I really believe that. Uh, one million meals packed each year. Uh, in March, we will have packed one million years in our first two and a half years of doing Feed the Hunger. I think it's important for us to make an impact, not just with the gospel, uh, but with the basic needs of people's lives. And so that's one of the things that we're about. It's one of the things we're going to continue to do. And as we grow, we're going to get to the place where we're packing and producing and giving out a million meals a year. 1,000 couples prepared for marriage each year. 100,000 hours of community service and missions in this area each year. 
1,000 children participating in missions yearly. Right now, we've got nearly 75 to 80 children every month that participate in missions uh, through our missions program. 2,000 adults sent out on missions to underprivileged areas each year. And 20,000 children sponsored right now. We've got 908, and as we include the plants that we will plant, I think it'll be, matter of fact, I think that number can grow to 50,000 children being sponsored through our church and through through plants that we start. 10,000 marriages equipped each year and impacted, and 100,000 people equipped through small groups and Bible study, and 1 million people. I believe that we can see 1 million people experience the grace and the truth of Christ and have their lives transformed by the gospel. I believe that we can make a difference, that Rock Point can make a difference, that when we look at statistics like this, we won't have to think of our children. Golly, I wish we'd have done something 20 years ago. I wish we'd taken advantage of that opportunity. I hate that my kids are in the position that they're in right now. Hey, can I tell you, we will become a year, just like Europe if we don't step up and utilize the opportunity and the call that God has given us. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of will we. It's not a matter of can we, it's a matter of will we. And I believe we will. The question is, will you be a part of it? What does that look like? Let me, sh- let me show you what God is doing. Uh, you see, that's the great news. It's not just you. The Spirit of God goes before us. I believe the Spirit of God is already at work in men and women's lives, in, in your neighborhood and people around you. Let me share a couple of stories. This is Mike and Karen Peelman. Uh, they were baptized earlier there in the service here. And Mike grew up uh, without a real church or religious background and uh, was a very uh, scientific guy. He's an engineer. And uh, he, he told me, he said, you know, I, I always look for a scientific answer. That's the way I would approach things. And uh, he said, finally, uh, he said, I began to read some books and somebody gave me a copy of um, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. And he said, man, I just really started making me think. I continued to read and uh, we started visiting churches. And he said, and then we uh, we came here and he said, finally, it just kind of resonated with me. And Karen was saying, she said, you know, I, I had grown up with a religious background, but she said something was missing. Something was missing in my life. And I knew there was something more. And there were some events that occurred in our lives. And finally, we came to that point that as we visited here and as I shared, and they began to come to Bible study, that they came to a place where they said, you know what, we're ready to commit our lives to Christ. And right back here a few weeks ago, they committed their lives to Christ. Why? Because the Spirit of God was already working. And as people were open and as people shared, they were open and they were ready to receive. Another couple, John and Lisa and Derry. They're from the Northeast. And uh, John and Lisa, um, that's not them, but they're coming real soon here. Um, okay, well, they don't come. They got baptized a while ago. There they are, John and Lisa. Uh, John was telling me the story. John said, you know, I, I grew up and I had some, uh, I had a, I grew up in a Catholic church, um, but he said, you know, I, I didn't really totally connect and, uh, he said, when I got in my teens, I, I kind of left and, uh, you know, I was, I was, I was a good person and I believed there was God. And, uh, he said, we were good people, but he said, I kind of came to that place where I, I knew there was something more. And he said, we drove by this church hundreds of times. We'd drive by and think, man, what's going on in there? And he said, and one morning, one Sunday morning, we drove by and there was a police officer and there were police officers and there's traffic. And I'm thinking, what's going on there? They got to have a police officer. All those people are going in. We're going to go there next week. And uh, at the same time, Lisa said, you know, I, I was here and, and I was hearing messages and I was hearing different things. And she said, and I had a friend who had a uh, who had a daughter who had a, had been diagnosed with a terminal pregnancy. And she uh, because of her face, she carried that terminal pregnancy all the way to the end. 
And that just really got to me as thinking, what is it that you have? And what strengthens you? And what kind of faith is that that would make you do that? And she said, and then we were attending here and I heard a story about somebody else. Matter of fact, another couple who accepted Christ will be baptized next month. I heard their story. Of course, they were predicated by another couple, uh, Julian uh, Warren Reichel on our staff, who did the same thing. And God continues to bless. She said, and it just really moved me. And it, like I heard that and it connected with me. And we began to listen. And so a few weeks ago, we're sitting over here in starting point. And they said, we're ready to receive Christ. We're ready to commit our lives to Jesus Christ. They're baptized today. I told you a story earlier of a guy named Chuck Gorman. Amazing. You know, um, let me encourage you and challenge you to do something. We've got some tracks out there. And uh, there, I've got about a dozen different types. And I want to challenge you to take one of these and share it with somebody this week. Just take it and give it to them. And uh, if you've got a relationship with them, and just share it with them. Say, hey, would you read this? And if you've got a strong enough relationship, they may read it right there and you can discuss it. You may say, hey, if you want to talk about this later, we can do this. If you don't want to use one, don't use one. This is just a tool. Uh, but I want to challenge you to share with somebody. And you may want to take a dozen, but uh, it'll elicit conversation. And let me tell you, God does miraculous things through little things like that. Chuck Gorman, who will uh, be baptized next hour, uh, he's a... He's a guy who, uh, same thing, I had a chance to pray with him a couple weeks ago as he received Christ. He was telling the story. I said, Chuck, kind of tell me your story. And he said, well, he said, um, you know, when I was, uh, when I was in college, somebody shared, um, somebody shared a letter with me. Somebody left a letter with me that shared the gospel with me. And they didn't even tell me who it was. They didn't even sign it. And it was on my bed when I came in one night. It was just the gospel. And it was just, you know, hey, you recognize you're a sinner. You recognize you need Christ. You recognize the wage of sin. And he said, I went through that. And I think, what is this? And I was kind of annoyed by it. But I started to throw it away. And I couldn't throw it away. So I, I put it in a book. And I forgot about it. He said, that's about 17, 18 years ago. He said, and then recently, he said, uh, one of my friends got killed. And it was a friend of mine I was, I'd been really close with in college. And so I went back and I was trying to find their picture uh, because we'd been so close. And at, before the funeral, I was trying to find their picture. And I found that letter I hadn't seen in 17 years. And it fell out. And I picked it up and it was faded and old. And I began to read it. And it was just like God pierced my heart. And I knew it was true what was stated in that letter. And so I started looking, I started searching, and we started attending church, and he said one day we were, somebody had told us about a church in Argyle, and so we were driving down this road, and we were late, and we were arguing, or we were not even going to make church, and we thought, well look, there's a church right there. <laughs> Looks like they're going in. So we pulled in. <laughs> a few weeks later, he's praying and committing his life to Christ. You know what he told me yesterday? He said, hey man, when I'm baptized... Is it okay if my boys sit right there on the front row? Because I want to look them in the eye and I want them to know that I've trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. And for the first time in their life, they're going to see me be a man and be a spiritual leader. Is it all right if they sit right there? I said, that's great, man. <laughs> I'd love to see every dad say that. God is at work. God's moving in and around us. Certainly around the world. Will we be a part of it? Will we receive Will we equip? Will we impact? Will we sing? Will we share the message of hope that we have? Let me tell you, there's more being done with a lie than we're doing with the truth. And if we really believe it's true, what are we doing with it? Take this tool if you don't have one. If you're not confident in yourself, that's fine. And if you need, you say, hey, I'd like to be trained how to share my faith. We've got people that will walk you through and share and train you and share, show you how to share your faith. But here's a good place to start.
So I want to challenge you to pray. God, open my eyes. You know, it's amazing in our, our neighborhood as we've seen people come to Christ if we just prayed and prayed and see people come and as God brings people, as we share and as you share of the hope that's within you, you never know. And sometimes, you know what, you'll plant a seed and it'll be like Chuck. You'll plant that seed and you'll think nothing's happened and God will bring it to fruition later on. His word does not return void. Invite. Take the opportunity to just invite people to come in here if you're not ready to share it. And step up. When you hear of opportunities here, step up. Serve. Pray. Equip yourself. Become an instrument that God can use. And commit. Don't just come and sit. Make a commitment. Not here. Find you another church. There's a church closer to your home. You're like, go to that one, okay? If it, if it preaches Jesus, but commit and be a part of what God is doing. Let's pray. Father, for those who may not know you today, God, I pray that you would draw them. That men and women and boys and girls would come and recognize that they are sinners. And say, God, I need you. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Save me. And Lord, for those of us who are believers, Lord, I pray that we will commit as we take these tracks this week and share that, either with friends or neighbors or family, whatever the situation. And Lord, though we may not see results right then, we can know that as we do that in the spirit of faith, as we pray, as we prepare ourselves, that your word does not return void, that your spirit is moving amongst your people right now and amongst the world. That Lord, I believe you are preparing to come back for the second and final time. And the question is, what will we have done with the opportunity that you've left us here for? I pray as right point, Lord, we'll be faithful to the mission you've given us. Faithful to the journey that is before us. And we look forward to all those things in praise and admonition of your name. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.